bandwidth for the Weird Things podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Weird Things Podcast. I'm Andrew Main, joined by Mr. Brian Brushwood. Heck yeah, not just me, but like you got two... I'm getting to them! Oh, sorry, go ahead. It's me and and special guests. Robert Young. Hey, I'm here, and not nearly as special as the next two guests. <laughs> we have on the microphone the Brian, Callie Brushwood. Can you say hi, Callie? Can you do or say anything? Nope, you can push it away. All right, good enough. And we have our special correspondent, our, our film reviewer. We have, we have Josie jo- Brushwood. Josie Brushwood. Say hello, Josie. Hello. <laughs> so present. So present. <laughs> Josie is like, I could tell she was waiting for like her, uh, uh, her cue. She's just like, all right. She, she had like eye contact, and she's like, when's it coming? When's it coming? All right, and Hello. Brian, you could learn from that professional. <laughs> I surely could. I'm just saying. So, so I, I think uh, a little bit of a spoiler alert. Here's the thing: is I'm on kid duty. Uh, uh, our our third correspondent is on special assignment at NASA right now. Penelope did an overnight sleepover at NASA at Space Center Houston. She uh, she just saw the Orion Mission Control. And a bunch of other stuff. So that's where Penny is and Bonnie right now. So meanwhile, I've got uh, Josie and Callie who are going to join us right now. So we, so why don't we do this? Josie is going to have her first babysitting gig. She's yeah. gonna she's getting paid money to to look after Callie. But before we did, I thought it would be fun for you to give a movie review, Josie, of what you thought of Godzilla. Can you Please. can you can you describe to us what Godzilla was about? Now, just for anybody who didn't listen last week, you went to go see Godzilla. Penny, your oldest, your 10-year-old, did not want to go because she thought the trailer looked too violent. Too scary. Six, your six-year-old, Josie, yep. was like, yeah, totally game. Let's go. Yep. Uh, so, Josie, what did you think about Godzilla? Oh, no. she, uh, Callie just walked in <laughs> and pressed the power button on the streaming computer, <laughs> which just now... <laughs> Which just now turned off. <laughs> she just marched right in. She marched in. Oh, she's already producing she the up, show. She's like, this is a she bad held start. Up, she held up one finger and just went <laughs> bloop and turned off our stream. <laughs> uh, okay. So so uh, I'll tell you what. This will be uh, only for <laughs> only for the audio listeners. Josie, can you tell everyone what you thought of the show? <laughs> Des- describe describe everything that happened. You, you got to tell everyone at home what happened. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You can't do any wrong. Just say, just say, what are things that you saw? Was there a giant lizard? Yeah. All right, and, and what else? Wrong, he was an amphibian, but please continue. <laughs> was there a giant Josie? bug? Yes. Okay. Well, well what was your favorite moment of the movie, Josie? My favorite moment was was the part where Godzilla was shooting some some blue stuff into the 
beetle. Spoiler and then, alert. And then the beetle, <laughs> like, was dead that time. So oh, that was okay. pretty good. Josie yeah. definitely just clicked the power button on the streaming PC again. Uh, okay, well, that was a great <laughs> review, Josie. Uh, one, one last thing, Josie. Um, listen, if, if, if you do this well, you'll get a third soda. Uh, make <laughs> the, the sound of Godzilla. Godzilla makes a very distinct sound. Can yeah. you... Don't, don't do sound? it into the mic, but just do it like to your dad. What's yeah. the name of the look sound? At, look at me. What's the sound? Do the Godzilla sound. Can't do it. Oh come on, come on, go and give Try it, give, it one more. Give it, go give ahead. It your, all. your mom's not there. Give you can get as loud all. as you want. All right, come on, as loud as you can. Ready, three, two, one. It's pretty good, actually. I mean, I, you're not seeing it. Uh, you're not seeing it in person, but like, she's got this whole like nasal thing happening. Uh, that's very good. Thank you, uh, okay, our okay. senior so, so, so film give... review correspondent, <laughs> Josie Brushwood. Get, 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 give us a uh, give us an official like thumbs up, thumbs down review for this. Uh, w- w- how many stars do you give it? Okay, Wait, she... ten stars. Ten stars. All right, ten, ten stars. Out of four. Ten, ten awesome. stars for Josie. All right, Josie's gonna take Callie, and they're gonna head on out. All right, off you girls go. Love you both. We're going to get the stream started again. Take your sister. Ladies and gentlemen, Josie Brushwood. <laughs> Off um, you go. Can I can I say that all things uh, being equal, I preferred Josie's review of the movie to yours, Brian. <laughs> you know what? That's that sounds legit. <laughs> okay. Off you go. Here we go. <laughs> take, uh, take control, gentlemen. I got this. Uh, I'm with you, Justin. I think uh, Josie's review, you know, kind of encapsulated my feelings about Godzilla. Indeed, my favorite part was where the monster, where Godzilla spewed blue stuff into the beetle, and the beetle died. That was my that was my favorite part too. You know, Brian, or sorry, Andrew. I think the the problem with weird things is we always start the show the same way, you know. And I think that we really like just another boring introduction for the Weird <laughs> Things podcast. Um, sometimes. There's a reason we do things, Justin. <laughs> uh, all I know is I, I I saw our future, our replacements. I saw, oh, yeah. you know, we're, we are we are really seriously not that far away from Penny doing her own regular podcast. Yes. And it going from, oh, isn't it cute that she's doing this to podcasting giant Penny Brushwood. Like she, has a, you know. she has how many YouTube followers? Uh, what? Whoa, too many, too many. Sorry, yeah. I just ran in. Every, everything's fine here, officer. Everything's cool. Nobody freak out. Uh, right. You ready to be eclipsed? Dude, in a big, big way. I'm ready for them to take over control of, of I'd say, podcasting empire. But what I mean is, like, this podcasting rickshaw will one day be theirs. <laughs> Dude, there's only And they two can ways run out. as hard as they want. You're either going to take uh, the Alan Thick way or the Freddie Prince Senior. Uh, I'm comfortable with either. I think. Uh, what, what, and, and, but for no, the record, for the record, what's the Alan, Alan Thick way? Well, Alan Thick is still with us. Freddie Prince Senior, um, not so much. Uh, All right, you know what? I'm, I'm going to back up my original so, prediction. So. I'm comfortable with either way. 
Yes. Uh, okay. okay. Uh, so it's funny. It's funny, Brian, that you said eclipse because I feel like that needs to be our first topic. Uh, Brian himself was an eclipse uh, today on Twitter as he blocked out the sun of enthusiasm for oh, a meme that caught hold throughout the week amongst the science community with uh, with solar powered roads. Okay. Are you familiar uh, with uh, this, uh, Andrew? No, no. Wait, have you not seen this video? Okay, first of all, if anybody searches for solar-powered roads, you will see a... Um, uh, that sounds an- like a horrible idea, but please continue. Okay, well, I mean, uh, first of all, the, the, the videos, and I'm saying multiple here because there's some that are created by the folks who are trying to launch the project through Indiegogo, and then there's also videos made by uh, enthusiastic YouTube vloggers talking mm-hmm. about what a great idea it is. Uh, there's an amazing case to be made for these. These are uh, roads made of individual hexagonal panels. Each one has a solar cell. If I knew nothing about highway technology or the abuses road tech takes, I would think it was a great idea. All right, no spoilers. No spoilers, Andrew. You're jumping ahead. Let's 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 Let's, do our best. Let's paint this this pastoral image of the the big gleaming uh, ray of light into a field of prosperity and science that that really danced around on Twitter all week uh, before uh, these twin Grinches uh, perched (laughs) atop uh, you know their their mountain huts, ready to sneak down and steal the roast beef. So so let's let's. Paint it in the most positive way possible. First of all, here's all the delightful promises that this technology holds. First of all, each individual hexagonal cell is made of tempered glass that is like, I don't know, super strong and can withstand Mack trucks and uh, uh, tanks rolling across it. And beneath that tempered glass is a, uh, a panel that features uh, solar cell technology that uh, will capture the sun's radio. Hey, man, how hot! How hot are those Arizona roads? Seems like there's a lot of energy in those Arizona roads that could be dedicated to something. Uh, And so each of these solar-powered roads would uh, capture the sun's radiation and use that in order to power the LED lights that are custom configurable on each of these individual panels. And uh, you could uh, you could change the number of um, you know spaces in a in a parking lot. You could give uh, uh, updates that says you know press pressure sensitive plates could say, hey man, there's a moose up ahead. And and like live, you could see it on the road ahead of you. Like hey bro, there's going to be a moose up ahead. And um, there could be heating elements in there that would be like, uh, well you know why are you throwing salt all over the roads? When you could uh, just, you know, melt that snow from within. Uh, all of this sounds awesome, Andrew. How can you hate America? Dude, if we had a quintillion dollar, million dollars to spend <laughs> on this, and then if, if, if when they were testing this, the tempered glass with, you know, semi-tractor trucks going over it, and they were throwing tons of bits of gravel underneath the tires and then above the glass and using this in real world conditions, and it performed admirably and it would not be as ridiculously expensive as we thought uh i'd still have a lot of problems yeah so so here's the thing i i, I got caught Kinda up i wonder about the, the benefits too like doesn't necessarily seem like these are problems that like we i mean like, yeah they're like would they be cool solutions that in this best case scenario example would be cool compared to where we normally do with stuff yeah probably but it's not like 
tremendous problems that we haven't solved fairly effectively. Well, okay, so here's the thing. Like, I, I you know, we're all fans as, as being members of the internet. We're all fans of clever solutions to things. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we all agree that if these individual units were durable to the tune of forever, then however much they cost, it's worth it because you install them once and then we have free energy from the sky forever. Um, so, so basically I asked aloud on Twitter, <laughs> like, Hey, has anyone done a cost benefit analysis on these? Like, like what's the, what's the sweet spot where, uh, you know, they last this long and they cost this much and that's why they're better than whatever we're doing in the interim. Turn, uh, turn, turns out that that's, that's Stop not. Stop hating science. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem, right? Is that the moment I say that. Why don't you go vote for Perot, you science hater? (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you go vote for Perot? I love it. Uh, And so so basically I was was an unpopular person today in a number of of locales because, uh, because, you know, to me, here's what it looks like to me. First of all. Uh, this kind of thing looks awesome on paper, like super amazingly terrific on, on on paper. But the more I dove into this, it turns out there's a reason that we pave roads out of asphalt instead of glass. It turns out also there's a reason that we use salt instead of, uh, I, I don't know, toaster ovens to melt the snow off of our road. It turns out that, that uh, pretty much everything that they're going to fix, and I'm using air quotes here, uh, it, it, it turns out that smart, smart people spent a hundred years coming up with the most cost effective. And I mean, cost effective, both in the sense of dollars spent and also environmental damage being tolerated. It turns out that they've solved all of those things. And I don't understand the appeal of these, what are alleged to be solar powered roads, but guess what? One of the biggest features is everyone like, yeah, no, 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 but the solar-powered roads, they're going to melt the snow so you don't have to do salt anymore. Except for when you look at their FAQ, it says, oh, yeah, no, there's definitely not enough energy from the sun to melt the snow on the roads. So instead what we'll be doing is using uh, power from the grid, a.k.a. coal. So enjoy your coal-powered roads is what it turns out to be. I can, yeah. And there's a, there's a lot, as you pointed out, Brian. Like asphalt is an evolving technology. The way we build roads, they have to take a tremendous amount of abuse. In the video, I just look here, and they they show this tractor driving over the road in a very contained environment. In the real world, there's grit, there's pieces of metal, there's all these things. A piece of glass is not the best surface to drive on. And now, and and we're not the nace. You know, there, I, I'll give you an example. When I was a little kid. I heard some sounds coming from over the neighbor's fence. My neighbor, like you, ran a daycare. And I hear a clunk, 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 clunk. And I look and I peer over and there are a bunch of the kids are hammering nails into a piece of wood, right? Bunch of nails into the wood. I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? They go, we're making an airplane. I'm like, um, you got the metal part right, I guess, and that, that's kind of a wing shape. But uh, Andrew, they like, said the words, and that makes it true. They said yeah, we're making like, an airplane, so clearly what they were making was an airplane. I'm like seven, and they're like five. And I'm like, guys, I don't think that's an airplane. <laughs> like, no, no, we're making an airplane. I'm like, uh, and like, again, I'm a kid that like, I didn't make pretend things. I didn't make models. I always tried to make things that were real. I was never into like representational stuff. If I was going to sit down to make a little airplane out of cardboard, 
that damn thing was going to get thrown off a house. That thing was going to have to fly or crash. Sure. Um, now, but they were engaging in the world of make-believe. And again, you can look at a cardboard box and you can have a lot of fun. It can be a rocket ship. It can be a time machine. It can be all the things you hide, the dark, dark, dark things in your soul inside of and don't show people. Whatever. I get As that. As one does. And you have to say, like, in make-believe is a wonderful place to say, hey, let's come up with some ideas that we'll then bring into the real world. We'll see what works and what doesn't. Now, this, I, the idea of using these vast tracks of road for some purpose besides just transportation, great idea. Using 1950s-era technology, you know, there, not so much. Will we at some point develop solar pigments or paint dust or little things that are super cheap and abundant that you could throw into the asphalt and are mildly conductive and you can just plug it in? Possibly. I'd be excited about that, but not Yeah, so, so, so like that's the thing, right, is that um, uh, it, it, it plugs much more into uh, an idea than it does to an actuality. Like on paper, the idea of growing uh, fuel in our cornfields looks amazing. Mm-hmm. And then you, and, and what could amazing, exactly. Amazing enough that all of a sudden you get all kinds of, uh, you know, legislators to, 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 to back initiatives, to do more of it. And then, you know, I don't know, then the science comes in and it turns out that you create more CO2 in the atmosphere, that it's, that is carbon negative, that it, uh, that it doesn't, uh, that it's wasteful because, you know, the, the, the fuel decays over time. The that, environmental uh, degrade because of the of what's used, the fertilizers. Right. The the the, the cost of fuel goes through, or I'm sorry, the cost of food mm. goes through the roof because Why, all it's of a sudden, Egypt. yeah, no, exactly. No, no it, it, it turns out after the fact, there's a billion different really bad notions that come along with the idea of of, of biofuels. Uh, this is, to be honest, exactly what I see right here. Like, if I was going to tell you. That uh, hello, I'm 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 emperor of the universe, and I want to declare that ten uh, percent of the surface of the planet uh, is now going to be solar cells. Uh, on the great list of places I would put that ten percent, roads would be last place. Not the least of which is because they're covered with cars half the time. Uh, and and on top of that, they also those are dangerous fuels. to very sensitive machinery. Yes, exactly. Cars. Right. Let me have thousands of pounds of 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 pressure placed on iPod. Look, I, in fact, we, if, if if that that's kind of isn't that sort of like one of like the like comical metaphorical tests that you do to test the durability of things is like run it over with a car. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. Right. I mean, again, it's like there's a reason we don't pave our roads with iPods. Is because it yeah. turns out that iPods are not uh, sensitive electronic equipment, not the best, uh, n- not as cost effective as as asphalt, and not as durable as asphalt. And, and we're not ruling out that we will have a a next generation material or something that would make more sense that you paint your house with or your roof, or you can paint it on the roads, and you have your solar powered paint and whatever. But this is not the technology we're looking for, in my God, opinion. You know what? God damn it. I'm going to go I'm gonna go a step farther here. I'm, like, fired up over this crap. I do not want <laughs> IT engineers keeping our roads functioning. I don't want a blue screen of death on the goddamn lines on our, on our, on our freaking roads. I don't want to be on the highway and all of a sudden there's a crash and all of a sudden we're just – it's the road warrior out there. No. I don't, I, don't, I don't want any of that stuff. I don't understand the benefit to it. I, it seems like uh, – Freaking, freaking. Man, that, that would kind of be chaos if, if the lines were digitally there and then, like, the road went out. <laughs> exactly. 
Like, exactly. We're just like, oh, well, I guess we don't have lines on the road <laughs> until we get a, you know, a, a, a state functioning uh, official to come out and from the Department of Transportation to restart the road. Uh, and here's the thing is, is, you know, for a lot of people and, and I understand for Brian and me and Andrew, we are not particularly people who have spent a ton of time driving in an everyday condition in snow. Right. You what, know, we, right. We, we have, the, also, the three we're not spent- smart. I think that's important to put in there. We are not smart. We're all dumb. And whatever we say is very likely wrong. However, Oh, no, 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 no. I say we are smarter than anybody who lives in places where they have to drive in snow. I think Because that we don't personal... live in places where they, where they drive in snow. There's a better way. Move. That's really all I have to say about driving in snow. But when I used to, when I used to go to school in Syracuse, I used to go, I used to drive from Florida to Syracuse and many times during winter season. And there are states that are better about salting their roads than others. For example, New York State was always very, very better comparatively to Pennsylvania. These are not universal solutions. Like, and I, do I think that these could be interesting in certain scenarios? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know every single condition of every single unique problem that happens on every single road in America. This could be a, a, a functional technology at some point. But to say universally it's better than salting the roads uh, is, I think, a large step. It's certainly a sexier idea in our head. It's beautiful. I, it's beautiful. I, I it's beautiful. It's it beautiful. It's a beautiful idea. It has been very effective. Yeah. No, no, no. I, and you are 100% right. Like, it is a gorgeous, gorgeous solution that, uh, that, that, that may or may not have acknowledged certain I – mean, I mean, again, it's like there's so much stuff we don't know. We don't know how long these things last. We don't know – I again for the record if they last forever then yeah i'm totally on board guess what my i'm skeptical that they'll last forever yeah i don't yeah i don't know if i want to combine the department of transportation with my utility but um i'm gonna i'm gonna change topic here but somewhat related and uh i actually had to look up this because this is a term that i've used before but i'm like i wonder what that is you know when you say raise your hackles sure 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 that's like uh it's like when a dog gets upset and it's like like I'm about to kick some ass. Its hackles get raised, right? And the hackles are the erectile hairs along the back of a dog or other animal that rise when alarmed. So it's the for the audio listeners that I'm making it look like I have hackles raising from the back of my neck. Yeah, which, um, by the way, and you look tough doing it too. I you thanks, look man. like like Wolverine. I was if go adamantium hackles. Wolverine, like, yeah, like that. No, that's where I'm at. Um, anyhow, I. We're all skeptics here, and skeptics in the sense that we always want information. I would say that our, our minds are not made up about anything. We have some things we think are more likely to be true than others, but we're open to the mind, open to possibilities. Like, you know, I, I, I have a pretty clear idea on how what I believe when it comes to, let's say, religion or whatever, but, uh, you know, we can all be in a matrix, you know, our, our second grade teacher could have put us under some sort of hypnotic condition that we didn't realize. One of us could be sitting in a coma somewhere, dreaming all this up. Whatever you know, um, could be. Which, which by the way, there there are smart scientists who say that statistically speaking, that's more likely. Like it's more mm-hmm. likely we're all just brains in a vat than than that this ridiculous universe would explode out of a singularity. Yeah, I, I will refer you to a, a slash dot news thread from 1998 where somebody coined the term the the harder equation. <laughs> the harder equation? Wait, yeah, what? Anyhow. Hold on. Wait, whoa, whoa, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Back that up. Back that up. Back, uh, uh, wait, 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 what am I hearing here? Is there something I should know? 
Um, I, I, I wrote about that back in the 90s, actually, a bit. Hold on. Um, do, I'm, I'm going to look up in the, the math of applying the, the Drake equation about like, is there life out there to are we inside of and, and I, to my understanding, it was the first. But prior to this, there's I know there's a scientist out there who's talked about like the idea that the, the likelihood that we're inside of a simulation. To, to my knowledge, the first person to actually document that online may have been myself. Oh, maybe. That's amazing. But that's anyhow, amazing. I, I, uh, OK, hold on real quick, real quick, real quick. OK, uh, I am clicking on. Science uh, science-beta.org pillars of creation destroyed is this you? No. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm not yeah. going to tell you it's not you. Um dog on it. I thought I had found oh, it. Oh, no, I didn't yeah, it is a title. Yeah, yeah, that's probably me. Yeah. <laughs> pillars of creation yeah. destroyed. Uh Kate Dawson posted this more than 7 years ago. Anthemaniac, is that you? No. Writes this no. writes with this news about the pillars of no, creation no, and iconic structure. Anyhow, okay, uh, all right. Moving whatever. right along. Moving whatever, whatever, whatever. All so, right. anyhow, I, what I was getting to is, what I want to get to is that there's this, in skepticism as skeptics, you know, we look for things, we want to know how does the world work, and then we ask questions. We say, is this likely to be true? And then we weigh arguments. Right. Now, like any other group, we run into the danger of embracing arguments that support what we believe and yeah. then make another argument, opposing point of view, look stupid or whatever. The right. danger of that is that we can be subjected to dogmatism. We can also, there's, I'm going to use the term slightly incorrectly, but scientism, which is the idea of we embrace the role of a scientist or the role of the body of knowledge more than the process itself. Yeah, that's, you know? that's, that's something that, uh, that is a, a very real risk for, uh, for skeptics is to basically em- embrace the role as uh, of, of of scientists as you know i don't know wizards basically like you know wh- yeah, whatever they say yeah, is yeah, right the, the practitioners are infallible versus the idea that the the method is the ideal and that's the mistake and that's not really the truly what scientism means but anyhow there is that sort of dogmatism about it where i absolutely believe that the only way to know how the world works is to ask the universe to make questions about itself is to test things and experiment and then keep asking that right now there's a video, it came online, uh, it came almost like on a year ago, and then it got picked up again by this time, I think it was uh, Gizmodo, and uh, it, it dealt with the moon, the idea that the, the landing on the moon was a hoax, okay, which is a notion that's been perpetuated since we landed on the moon, and it's been, you know, er, you know all the popular arguments have been pretty much debated, uh, Phil Plates, you know, done entire books about this and discussed this ad nauseum, you know, most of the prominent arguments have been just you know, I would say reduced to nothing. You know, that you have an overwhelming preponderance evidence. We landed on the moon. We landed on the moon. You right. know, uh, now uh, there is, like I said, by, by, by the way, there is a, a side note here. My favorite of all of the arguments for why we landed on the moon was uh, came from a filmmaker who said uh, uh, that we did not possess the technology to fake landing on the moon. Which he's absolutely wrong, Brian, and that's the video I'm talking about. Oh, shoot, son. Really? This is great. S.G. Collins. I watched this video because there was – it was why the moon landing could never, ever been faked, all capitals, you know, from Gizmodo. And 
then and using terms like imbeciles to describe people we didn't land on it. And not this guy, but people that I found a bunch of people supporting this video. S.G. Collins is a uh, filmmaker, artist, has done some incredible stuff. And, he, you know, he very, very interesting, provocative thinker. And he made a 13 minute video explaining why it was impossible to have faked the moon landing. OK. And then other right. people have said my favorite quote from Gizmodo uh, or. It is a completely convincing and undemiled argument and worth watching. And so the idea is that the statement is it would have been impossible to have faked it. Now, right. here's the problem. Now, now, I absolutely uh, for, 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 first of all, if I, if I can real quick, because I, I know I know you will have a very cogent argument for why, you know, why this is wrong. But as I remember this video, his essential argument was there's only two ways to record stuff. Either you could take it by film or by video. Um, he said that uh, that the suggestion of how they faked it was that they overcranked the video, they slowed it down, which is what you do when you run film at higher than the speed that it's you know, higher than 24 frames per second, and then you slow it down to 24 frames per second. He said, but they didn't do film, they did video. Uh, he said, now theoretically, um, if they had faked it using film, they would have overcranked it, and then that would have meant that they managed to get. Uh, I don't know, however many hundreds of thousands of, of, of frames without a single scratch, without a single artifact that's associated with film. And so instead, uh, because we saw it, you know, the, the other option is that it was video, but the ability to record, to overcrank video did not exist in 1960s. Is it, Am I right so on that? He, he makes there are there are and again the problem is is that it's a first he creates a straw man argument right. and says let me we could not have faked it because this is false right but there is and he lays out three conditions of which people that three things that he says that takes it apart the first he says lighting the first he gets into is lighting he says that you would have the light source there would be closed you would have you would have fall off etc. The problem that one is the lighting argument. He says that it'd be impossible because it was lit. You could, it's obviously lit by the sun because it was lit by a studio light. The shadow would change and you would see the, the light thing. Sure. Two problems with that argument. One is if you shot in a large enough soundstage with a very, very strong source of light far enough away, the amount of drop off and the change of the shape, shape of the shadow would be so minimal you would not see it on your television screen. You wouldn't notice it. It's entirely right. possible to have put a light source much farther. When you work in film, and this guy's a filmmaker, so he's looking at it from the point of view of a filmmaker as he understands things, of like, well, if I put a Klieg here, I do this. So, one, on a large enough soundstage, you could probably convincingly recreate those shadows because you wouldn't have enough information to decide, is it like a three millimeter shorter because it's actually 300 yards away and three yards across, and, whatever. And, 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 and by the way, uh, you know, for everyone at home, like uh, if you've ever played the game of trying to make a shadow off of a, um, uh, you know, a flashlight, uh, you know, you're doing hand shadows and stuff. You'll notice that everything, for example, Justin, right now you're seeing a very soft shadow behind Justin. And uh, I don't know what lighting source Justin has, but I can intuit th certain things about it. For example, the fact that he has a soft shadow behind them is uh, I, I, I can intuit that whatever source of light he's getting is a disc and not a point of light. Mm -hmm. That is why, uh, uh, for example, if you turn on your, 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 you know, your iPhone, uh, you know, single dot LED uh, source of light, you're able to get very precise shadows. Crisp, yeah. But, but, but meanwhile, like all three of us, I believe have very soft shadows right now because all of us, I assume if you were to turn the cameras around, we have uh, wide 
disks of light, and that is what we have with the sun. is is a very specific, very predictable. Um, in, you know, I don't know, like two degree wide uh, in right. the field of vision. You know, source of light. Exactly. So, if you so if you have a very strong source of light, but you move it much further away from the object, you will get less of that. So you could. I will argue you could one way you could in a large enough studio you could certainly create something that would look effectively like that shadow. Having played with shadows, second, I could just build a soundstage, wrap it in black curtains, and open up the ceiling and use the sun. That's true. Then you would okay. have a very sunlike <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. source of light in the in, yeah. in in the beginning there. So there are there are two ways around that first problem. I have that argument. Okay. Now he gets into like the and again the argument again it's easy to take apart certain dumb arguments made by people who think it was a hoax but that doesn't mean that it could not have been fake that's my thesis is that it's like yes some of these arguments are dumb but some of the some of these things there are other ways so when we get into the bouncing now first off if I were to have faked the moon landing I would have not overcranked the camera I would not have used slow motion I'm a magician. You're a magician, Brian. Justin, you've worked with magicians. You, you, know? you would have, mm-hmm. uh, if, if, if I may guess, and this is the one thing that, uh, that he doesn't address, is uh, he does do an effective job of, I believe, blowing down the idea that, that, that slow motion could not have been the method. And, and I do agree that's right. But, but I agree with you, Andrew, in that if I was going to fake a moon-like situation, I would, I would not use slow motion. I would use, uh, for example, what NASA uses – which is some kind of wire work that reduces the gravity to one-sixth, right? We, we have – there in magic, we sometimes use wires. We have things that are – there are other ways that we can create. There, levitating uh, – stagecraft levitation is several hundreds of years old. There is actually have been magicians that have performed things that look like astronauts floating before we put astronauts in space. We've been making angels float on stage in church presentations since the Middle Ages – there are all the technology to create it, make it look like these guys are bouncing across there. You could do a counterweight, actually reduce the guy's weight. You could, it's the perfect environment to hide wires, by the way. Yeah. Absolutely perfect environment to do that. That's how I would have done it. Because, I of, because of the that, black that background, right? Yeah, you have a strong white, black background, and there's technology we won't get into, but it absolutely could have been faked from that point of view. But it wasn't, mind you. He then gets into a butt, and then he does a whole thing debunking the idea that it could have been shot on video and overcranked, et cetera, da da, because this is what he knows. But the thing is, uh, he makes some sort of like arguments from absurdity, like, well, maybe NASA could have done this, maybe NASA could have done that. But this would like, he talks about like how, you know, to have enough film stock to roll to shoot like entire 47 minute segment. They don't make film canisters that big. Right, right. That uh, specifically, you're saying like, like it's not possible uh you know when you see and and this is me going back to being a projectionist in high school or Mm -hmm. whatever like there's only so long that a single film canister can go before you have to transition to another film canister and the fact that this is a continuous shot the entire time long which is something that's easy to do on video especially when it's real time uh but not something that's even remotely possible with technology available for film in the 1960s, right? Yeah. Now, somebody pointed out in the comment, they said Mythbusters did a pretty decent job of debunking the wirework thing. I would just say that Mythbusters does not have access to certain areas of, right, of magic yeah, yeah, tech. Yeah. Can, 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 we, can we leak something? I mean, this is not... First of all, let me state unequivocally, none of us are on the inside of the Mythbusters production process. We don't know what's going on. However, mm-hmm. some of us have, number one, an eye for production, number two, uh, background in magic, 
Number three, I don't know, maybe did a whole season of of, of a very popular A and E magic show, and 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 those of us who have those things, maybe shared with other ones of us that maybe they noticed some things about MythBusters that maybe suggested that perhaps possibly MythBusters is not a hundred percent what you see is what you get. Anyhow. Point is, there are ways. Now, when it comes right. to the film thing, he makes the argument you couldn't have a large film canister. But you, you absolutely, that actually, technically, you could. Because, like, remember, I worked as a projectionist, too, Brian. Remember the film Platters? Sure, sure. Uh, and, and there are actually really, really in, very massive large magazines they use for certain scientific things, things like that. And NASA was the one, remember when Stanley Kubrick wanted to shoot a scene in Barry Lyndon where they lit, you know, the Napoleon area film where there one scene lit entirely by a candlelight. He actually went to NASA to have them build the lens for it. Okay, that's amazing. So this is not an insurmountable thing to actually have shot the thing. And he says, "Oh, you could have done on thirty-five millimeter. Yeah, you could have done on thirty-five millimeter. You could have done it on seventy millimeter film, and you could have had a massive magazine. You could also have had two cameras looking through a split mirror and flip one on over the other, and you could have a seamless." He says, "He makes he says, oh, you'd see the splice. No, you wouldn't see the splice. You right. could match it point to point." And you wouldn't see the splice. So I'm going to argue it'd be dumb to do it on film and to under overcrank it. It's a dumb way to do it. There's a simpler way to do it. But if you wanted to do that, you actually could have done that. And as far as he says, one bit of dust or one bit of thing would have ruined it. No, it was all transferred down to video. It's very noisy. It's absolutely noisy. And when you're working with 70 millimeter film, you can actually literally paint over things by actually painting the negative. I mean, I mean, that is, that is true. However, I will say that, that I think he does have a point in that there are, there are consistent artifacts that you get with film that are recognizable. And even after you transition film over to video, you, you know, like, like, like you look at an old Godzilla movie, you can see uh, the the same well, kind of dust motes that you get in but, video. But again, that is on, th- those are film. those are crappy those are crappy transfers. Right, you can do really really high quality telescene transfers, and a lot of stuff that we watched of old movies and stuff, television shows were film transferred to video, and you do not see those artifacts. Okay, right. and and he says no dust. Yeah, this isn't going to be done the most. And he, he makes an argument again. He comes to the argument of absurdity. Why didn't the lab techs talk? Why didn't they talk about it? Okay. Who have you talked to that, that works on the film footage that we put on our spy satellites, our spy planes that we drop down via parachute back to the Earth? Who have you talked to that's worked on this that can tell you what we shot from the SR-71? I mean, okay, okay. I will. I will let, let me defend his point in this regard, and I'll, I'll use okay. Justin as our arbiter between these. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like far less significant conspiracies have fallen apart than than uh, uh, than this uh, one. Like like I do believe uh, that there is. Brian, I, I, I agree. The, the, the heart. The, the, I absolutely agree. Trying to maintain this conspiracy would be very very hard. Absolutely, and that's why I, I, we landed on the moon. But my point is, my point is, we have entire government lab facilities dedicated to processing film. And I give you examples of stuff that we use from spy planes, military footage, all the stuff that do not talk about that. And to ignore that and to say like, oh yeah, they're going to run it over to the Kodak lab. Why didn't they talk? No, they wouldn't do that. That's a stupid argument. You know, my point is if they wanted to, because for whatever reason, you would go to the same processing facilities facilities that do this, that process film for the government that don't talk about this, which right. exists. In his world, they don't exist. In our world, the real world, those are their real places. Those are cogent arguments, sir, but you're not the jury. Jury is the jury. Go. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> I think Moon. Uh, well, it, it, it kind of breaks down on this. Is that like I think the larger argument is that it's dumb for all of us to rally around somebody who makes straw man arguments, even against something that is readily debunked for a lot of different reasons. Uh, or at least there's strong, 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 strong evidence to suggest that we, that we actually landed on the moon. But it doesn't do any of us any good to rally around, you know, just uh, some, some faulty assumptions and say, yes, you have further beaten this horse with arguments that may or may not be legitimate. I, I, his closing statement, his argument for doing the film, and again, I, I, is he says, once you're forced to hypothesize whole, whole new technology to keep your conspiracy possible, you stepped over into the realm of magic. It demands a deep and abiding faith, things you can never know. Now, I would, I would, I would say that I agree to that to a point, but the problem is, is that we didn't need new technologies. He ignored other ways it could have done it, but the over preponderance evidence is we weighed it. It, it was would have, would have been a big, humongous conspiracy. But to say, oh, well, the people at Kodak would have talked. Well, no, they don't talk about this other stuff. That doesn't hold it for me. Like, oh, it was impossible to overcrank it. Well, no, it really wasn't impossible, and you wouldn't have needed to do that. Okay. And then to make the overall sweeping All statement, right, let me, let we me, could let... not have faked it. That's my problem. Is it's a definitive. This could not have been done. And as a skeptic, I can never say with absolute certainty anything. Let Let me play angel's advocate here. Right. Uh, first of all, I think we all agree, all three of us, before anyone sends us a stupid email, uh, we all agree that we went to the moon, right? What we're doing? Speak for yourself. <laughs> um, what I perceive, and and, and and if I'm understanding Andrew correctly, Andrew's problem is the specific nature of this argument um, is is specious in that in that uh, you know he relies on saying like, well, you couldn't have faked it, therefore it could it's not faked, uh, and you are saying. Just as you would explain to a moon, uh, I don't know, a moon trip denier, a moon hoaxer, a uh, moon you, and night, right? Right, you, <laughs> moon and night. You would say, you would say, uh, but isn't it more likely that we went than didn't go? Because here's all the reasons why you know we almost certainly could have and did go. Um, I do feel like there's merit to his argument in that he says, uh, you, uh, as as you requoted it. Andrew, and maybe you're 100% accurate, I don't know, but, uh, but, but as you requoted it, you said that he said it was impossible for us to fake these things, and you're saying, no, it wasn't impossible. I agree with all of that. Um, however, I suspect that what he really meant was uh, that which is more likely that we develop this technology that would not surface in the commercial market for 20 more years, or that we use simple Newtonian physics and slide rules to basically shoot a bullet that was very precisely arranged. And in that regard, I feel like his argument does have merit because I think he's right. I think, I, I think it is more likely I, that we I just think use... if it was stated in the seams of which is more likely and he was accurate about what was likely, that's my problem, is that when you, you say, we didn't have this, we didn't have this. No, no, we did have that. We did have that. To pretend that we didn't have that or pretend to ignore that creates an opportunity for the people out there who say we didn't do it to say, no, you're invalidated. And See, that's the problem is when you have a specious argument, when you have an argument that has holes that you pretend they're not there because you're making your because you, that's the danger. I guess that's what I'm trying to get. The danger is if you ignore this or you say this, 
you create a straw man and you deny that it's a straw man. So the the the, the point is you, the process. You weaken our position. Right. The, so, the, so 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 the point the point sorry. is protecting the process and not uh, redefending results with bad process and calling that a victory. Yeah. If, so, if, so basically by by overstating the simplicity of his pers- uh, position, he essentially makes the same mistake that the moon deniers do. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? I mean, yeah, in a, in a sense, not to the degree that they make it, but I certainly think that yes. And I, and I think the people who champion this, you know, go, veer off when they're like, the science is settled. We know this. This is just, you can't, it's incontrovertible. This is impossible. You can't disagree. It's like, whoa, we're no longer in the world of science now. We're in dogma. Yeah. No, no, no. So, I, and, and I totally agree point. with all of that. I, I, I do, I, I do still feel like he brings in some new elements to this debate that I hadn't heard before. And in that regard, I appreciate it. Like, like his background. Yeah. Is film. I, I wish, wish it was, I wish it was framed. Exactly there. And here we go. Properly. Here we get to the heart yeah. of our, the heart of our argument, which is this in and of itself is a great element of the scientific process. If it were stated differently, if it were, Hey, Look, in my opinion, as a filmmaker, they couldn't have done X, Y, and Z because of A, B, and C. Then somebody else, like Andrew and, and Brian, who have a, a sense of, you know, magic, stage production magic, has been making the impossible look real in person for hundreds of years, if not, if not thousands of years, right? Like, yeah. so there are elements as you say, ah, actually... You, this is like just if it were just a statement of, in my opinion, this would not be the case, then you could have somebody else. Then this is the rebuttal to that, and we get a better sense, a clearer idea of our world. And that's awesome. And now, that's the process. Now, and that now, is great. But if it's boom, now the enemy of critiquing this is criticized because we are now invested in the result and not the process, then we are taking a step back even by defending something that we all kind of agree on, I that would, the process I, is damaged. Yes, 100% to all of that. I would say the only thing that I, that I, that I push back on, on uh, Andrew's position is that I get the impression, and I'm probably wrong about this, and you'll probably correct me here momentarily, but I get the impression that, that Andrew is maybe suggesting that, that we end up with a net negative for this thing having been out there Whereas I, I, I feel a net negative being like like pushing back the position of, uh, of, 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 of the reality that we went to the moon as a result of this having been out there. And I would I would disagree with that. I feel like I feel like he only brings more evidence, even though it's a sideways flawed argument argument. I feel like I, I feel like the net benefit of this having been out there is that. There's only more evidence for us having gone to the moon, but maybe I'm wrong. My my concern is every time we champion some element of the debate that embraces the dogmatism of Mm. our side, that's a negative. Every time we cheer and we use these definitive language to say, these people are stupid, look at this thing that we got right and this is impossible, that raises my hackles. That's my problem is that I think that we should be the first ones to critique our own arguments. Yep. I think that, and that's my fear is because we're talking about science and science is the idea of how do we test things? How do we invalidate? How do we do that? And when we say we don't have to do that because we're right and then we keep perpetuating and we champion and celebrate arguments based upon it. No, I'm right. Science is on my side, period, full stop. That scares me. That Agreed. scares me because then we're Agreed. not doing science. Well, and, and, and I'll tell you where you can see that. And, and I don't think 
I will raise any political hackles by bringing this up because it's something that is true on both sides. But you see this and perversely on both sides of the climate change debate. And it makes me mad on both sides. It makes Mm -hmm. me mad when every Republican says, oh, it was freezing today. Where's your global warming? It's like, no, that's a dumb argument. You're a dumb person for having said that. And then it turn around on MSMDC. It was like, oh, it's 104 degrees today. I guess global warming is a lie. And it's like, no, you're just as dumb for the exact same reasons. And and I do agree. It sounds to me like you're saying, like, uh, we need to apply those standards to to more debates, including the uh, whether we landed on the moon debate. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm dogma. Every side, everybody can. We all have a tendency to want to lean towards our own dogmatism and we need to be skeptical of it. And I think the first thing is you start with your own arguments. Then you address the other ones, because if you ignore your own, you leave these gaping holes for the other people to come along and then. At some point, point them out, which then makes you look, one, dishonest, and two, wrong. I mean, that's- I mean th- th- there's, there's an element to all humanity that loves narratives. It's something that Andrew, as an author, you know, well, makes, and, and, makes and, and, a living and, and, on. Brian, you as a magician, your, your routines are amazing. And to me, separate yourself from other magicians based on the very simple, resonant storytelling that goes on uh, amidst your effects. And it's what separates bad magic from good magic. Uh, It is those narratives that we need to separate ourselves from when it comes to science. This is, in my my opinion. No, no, no. It's it's not just... I to go watch... Well, real real quick, Andrew, it's not Justin's opinion. It's science fact. It's it's not just a a beautiful dream. It used to be a beautiful dream, (laughs) and now it's science fact. Um, I I, I am reading a book. uh, I'm going to hold it up for the camera right now, uh, but it's an audible book called You Are Now Less Dumb by by David David McRaney, and he talks about all of the different cognitive biases we have. And one of them, the, the very first one that he leads off with is the narrative bias. We all want to believe oh. in this. Um, uh, oh, oh, who was that guy who uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to forget it. Um, but uh, but uh, in uh, Joseph Campbell, is that right? Is that is that power a guy who talked about? Yeah. Power of myth uh, that this Joseph Campbell idea that uh, that we all want to believe that the hero is flawed and then he, he learns from his mistakes and comes back stronger than ever. Like this is what fuels all of our stories that that, that we all buy and and back. Uh, and and it is a cognitive bias, just mm-hmm. as bad as the, as the uh, confirmation bias, just as bad as the, um, uh, you know, our, our bias to see faces where faces don't exist or whatever. Um, once you recognize it as a flaw in our own stupid brains, it, it sort of changes the picture in that regard. Yeah, I, I that's the thing that frustrates me is and I've gone to like skeptics conferences and stuff where they've talked about like how to use rhetoric to make your point or do this and this. And I'm like. This is the problem. This is the problem is that, you know, once we start and in, in you get into like, oh, well, we need to be able to persuade people more. We need to engage them more emotionally or do this like this. Like, well, you run a very dangerous thing when you said we should be governed by facts or what, how we understand the world. And now you're saying, yeah, but it's not making our point. <laughs> you know, well, OK, now, I, and I, I do hear where you're coming from. And again, I'm going to turn to jury as our jury. Um, I, I, I know that you and I have talked about this before because there have been talks that that are very um, I don't know. They, 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 they smack of um, manipulation when they say use this trick to get them to believe what you believe or whatever. Um, 
I, I don't hate them as much as you do because to me, oftentimes I feel like at the end of the day, we are really looking for as skeptics an effective mode of communication. Like like uh, when, what you see as nasty tricks to manipulate people, I see as hey, let's analyze what is the most effective way to make our points. And I don't I don't I'm not as bothered by that as you I, are. But 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 again, I, I'm I'm open to listening to as long as truth isn't sacrificed. As long as truth isn't sacrificed as long as you're not burying things because they're inconvenient, I'm okay. I mean, and that's 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 my you know because a lot of the times we get into things where you know hey, we could debate like is there a God or is there not a God? But then if I bring up like, well, is there a health benefit to believing in God? <laughs> you know, um, and and then we go, what other pragmatic values are there of? And there and that's what you say. Yeah, let's not get into that. Well, in the interest of fairness, you know, and that's my my concern is when. You know, is the idea of what truth really means? So, anyhow. to me, to me, the 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 difference is uh, oftentimes in in the point of the the the, the person talking. You know, it, it, what do you want? Do you want everybody to believe you, or do you want to engage in a conversation that helps further all of our collective intelligence? I think that's a good way to put it. And and right. if 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 you want everybody to just say you're right, and you just want to do a touchdown dance then that's fine. Listen, there's plenty of room for touchdown dances in life, but just don't say that it's that, that we're all better for it, that we're not, we're all smarter for it. I mean, I guess that's, that's the thing is it's tempting to say like, well, whatever gets them to believe what I believe in the end, then it's right. Uh, but, but, and in that regard, I, I do have a, have a deep, deep admiration for you bringing up, I mean, again, on a show where all three of us believe that we definitely went to the moon and we find Speak ourselves... Speak for yourself! <laughs> and we find ourselves defending the idea that maybe we didn't or or, or defending or, or at least uh, taking to task arguments that support things that we that we all seem to believe. Um, I, I definitely agree with where you're coming from and all that, and I certainly admire your uh, your your uh, it's just what so is much it? intellectual hygiene. Is I guess what and, it and is, by, right? by, the way, by all means, go watch as you call this video. I mean, I, it is a, it is a very well put together. It is a very well done. But it is S G Collins a, Moon Collins. Hoax Not is what you want to look up. Uh, yeah. S G Collins is, is the a, user. It is a rhetorical documentary. It is very much rhetorical. You know, and, it, and he's he's shaping the narrative to what suits the things that he knows that he can debunk or whatever. But uh, have that in mind. But it is well put together. And I'm one of these people like I'm like, go read everything, you know, but ask questions, you know, and, and right. don't 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 take your side's view of the other side, which is the most frustrating thing in the world. Be like, oh, yeah, I know what they say. How do you know? Well, my people told me. Well, and, and and this is a good point too because it's like uh, this is the trap that magician, or I'm sorry, that uh, magicians exploited in the 1970s among scientists. Whereas scientists who are like, I know everything about psychology, therefore this must genuinely be ESP because I could see no way in my expertise of psychology that this could be possible. Therefore, it must be real. Uh, and then meanwhile, it's like, yeah, but you didn't know I used a freaking thread. You know, exactly. that's that, we, that's we, what it boils down to. Brian, it's a brilliant way to put it. Very, very intelligent people have been brought down because they think they have a very strong view of how the world works and there are little things they just don't, they're not aware of. And that's the trap we fall into. Correct. Gentlemen, next topic. Go. Uh, So, I don't know if you saw this. This is a couple weeks back. LAX, airport, right by me. 
had a little bit of a problem with their traffic control computers. They had some sort of glitch in the software, and everything shut down. Uh, okay, what? I'm looking right now. On don't look it up. Don't look it up. Don't oh, look it up. Oh, I'm not up. looking up. I'm not looking it up. I got, I'll take your word for it. I did not hear about this, which is why I was looking it up. Know, but that's fine. So LAX so, had a bit of a kerfluffle, did they? Right. So they had there were 27 cancellation of flights, 27 diversions, 23 departing flights were canceled, while 216 were delayed in um, airports including Burbank, Long Beach, Ontario, Orange County. So it was a huge kerfuffle. This was a, a a tech issue. Well, Brian, that was a the question. They're like, they're like, what happened? Why did our systems shut down? I mean, listen, LAX, it's a very heavily guarded airport. They've had probably more so than, than any American airport over the last 15 years. They've had terrorism problems. I remember a, a, a El Al uh, security guards had a gun down a dude who was running up in there. It's certainly a chaotic place. A lot of paparazzi people coming uh, in and out. A lot of random people. I, I've been stopped more times rolling into LAX than any other airport. Uh, what of all these possible scenarios could have affected the air traffic control system? Okay. By the way, for for, for the record, just just uh, I want you to know in the back of my mind, like Justin did such an expert job of setting up this alley oop that I have to. I have to suspect that you know exactly what I happened. I have no idea. I have no idea. Really? No. Piggy? All right, all right, all right. Uh, just, all right. Just a real quick aside. I just saw a comment there. Somebody said it's hard to read all the opposing arguments. It's true. You want to find out what the other side thinks their strongest evidence is. That's what, you, what is their strongest case. Agreed. You know, not the ones that you pick, cherry pick. But anyhow, back to this. So what caused this? Any theories? Any theories? It was a cat. I'm going to say it was a cat. Mm, there's some element of truth to that, Brian. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Brian's cats. already taken the animal perspective. <laughs> Normally, I would say, like, you know, it's usually geese. Like, you know, there's, not there's a lot of... Uh, That's a stupid air- suggestion, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a bad person. You should feel no, bad. No, actually, it was sort of an animal. I take, take, I take that back. I take half that back. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, but uh, instead, I'm going to take... The 90s film perspective and say a teenager hacked the mainframe. <laughs> Gentlemen, I say cat in the sense that cats describe a cat to me, Brian. Uh, I mean, a cat's a four legged bipedal animal, it has bilateral symmetry, it's got fur. Well, what all makes it different it? than a dog, Brian? Uh, claw, retractable claws. That's what makes it different. Right. Okay, let me ask you a question. If there was a dog in the room, would you know it? I mean, right now? Yeah. There may actually be a dog in my room, and I won't know, and I, I do not know it. What about a cat? Okay, cat, I definitely wouldn't know. They're stealthy. Cat, cats be stealthy. All right, look. Stealthy. <clears throat> all right, first of all, drugs, dogs drive like this. I'm making a lot of noise. I'm a dog. Cats be driving like this. See what I did there? Yeah. They don't call so, them dog burglars, Brian. <laughs> so, approximately 2 p.m. on the day of the outage, a U-2 spy plane, a stealth plane, if you will, flew over at an altitude of 60,000 feet. A cat-like plane. Got it. Yep. Now, the, the LAX controller computers, they see this plane, and it's more like you see that kind of grid where you see these little dots. It's kind of 2D. You two yeah. have spy planes at sixty thousand feet. Most commercial aircrafts, like maybe thirty. We we uh, that's normally like the area occupied by I don't know satellites. 
<laughs> like it's 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 a wee bit out of the normal uh, well, air traffic. Sixty thousand feet, uh, you know, that's 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 a ways up. That's 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 twice the distance of regular, you know, airplanes. Hold on, hold on. So, that's oh, wait, 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 wait. that really is that that's halfway to satellite territory, right? Sixty thousand like, like, feet? No, it's only ten miles. No, 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 no. But but, but a uh, the ISS is at one hundred twenty thousand feet. Is that right? One hundred ten miles. Oh, miles. Yeah, whatever. I was a little bit wrong. Never mind. All right. Okay. Just, uh, just, Justin, edit all this out. This will yeah, not be in the it. final Gito, version. Mark it. Yeah, that was yeah, great. When the ISS is at 120,000 feet, it'll be very bright. But, you know, what's in there is like, is the ISS, you know, we've talked about this before, you know, the solar panels on that, they actually have to change the pitch of it as it does its elliptical orbit around the Earth when it comes to its closest point because it will actually get atmospheric drag, even at 110 miles out. Yeah. No, no, no. It, so. it, it, not a lot, but obviously enough yeah. that, that they so want to. This is 60,000 feet, twice the height. of. So anyhow, the LAX computers see this like, holy crap, there's an airplane going really fast through here. Way above, wasn't prepared for this, shut down the system. Which is good to know that the computers fall back in a situation like this. It's just to shut down. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's like so wait, if, if so this, this was if, if if this was a meteor, it would be good. We would all be applauding that they shut down and no, no, and no, didn't. that the computer crashed. No, we would not. Uh, so, okay, yeah, that, that that's my question. Crashed, my, this was Brian, not. That's what happened. So you're the, saying the, like this was not a a automatic failsafe of any kind. The computer did not rec- they recognize it's strange data and didn't handle it well and shut down. Exactly. So okay, so you're saying like if a gunman came in. And Justin and I were drinking at a club, and our initial response was to immediately break down weeping and crying and just fold to the ground. That would not be heroic, and nobody would celebrate that. Uh, no, what I'm saying is that the gunman walked in there, and he had night vision <laughs> goggles. He started firing, and all the lights went out. Yeah. That would be bad. <laughs> okay, all right, good enough. <laughs> yeah. No, th- it was a glitch. Literally, the, the computer said, I don't know what to do, and it shut down, so we couldn't see anything. So all of a sudden that opens up like uh, let's say you are a antagonist to the United States and that you know this kind of thing. You could do something like, uh, you know, I don't know, send a uh, send a satellite up that breaks apart on reentry and just throws a bunch of, um, uh, I don't know, debris at 60,000 feet just to basically whatever happened to LAX could happen to all of uh, American I, I don't know. All I know is that apparently that a relic of the Cold War managed to shut down a 20, 000, 2014 uh, air traffic control system. <laughs> they're, they're really like as is traveling as much as I have over the last two years, I have become very serene about traveling in general. Like I have, I have made my and Brian, I'm sure that you went through a similar process when when you just need to travel like every day or every other day there are just elements that you just have to through repetition come to terms with like you have to understand if i die in this plane that's fine like there's speaking of which okay all right right. read this paragraph though the exact technical causes are not known the spy planes altitude and route apparently overloaded a computer system called eram which generates display data for air traffic controllers backup computer systems also failed all right so here's 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 my only point on that is that the one element that I have never really become completely serene about is just air traffic control in general, both the technology and the, uh, and, and the personnel. Because I know, I, know I, I grew up with somebody who's an air traffic controller in Miami and they're a very nice guy. I very much enjoy him. 
it's just very weird for me to know that the human hand of his human hand is guiding planes like mine in and out of airports all the time. So, and that so, there so, is several things to consider first of all like the whole air air traffic control system and and granted it is being upgraded right now but like as recently as like you know 10 years ago you're looking at a system where people are writing shit on uh three by five note cards and sending it on wheels tracks around to another guy or whatever uh uh second of all uh real quick and this is just to justin uh have you figured out the trick of like taking the first flight flight out every every morning oh dude I wake up at 3.30 in the morning so I can get to SFO from Oakland so I can get the first flight out. It, it, flying out of SFO, it's, it's a necessity because of the fog. Exactly. Like you are just you're, – you're gambling with your entire What's day. the first you flight out? Fewer seats what, or what? what? No, 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 no. no. Uh, first flight out is the least likely to be delayed or whatever because what okay. happens is, is when one flight gets delayed, that uh-huh. means whatever airport that went into is delaying all the other flights and is delaying all the other flights or whatever. So it's like if you care about getting there on time – Always, 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 always take the first flight out. Uh, and the last other thing is, uh, this is the biggest thing for me that's weird about traveling, is have you experienced, Justin, I don't know, if maybe this is just me, but like, and this has not happened, this is not an isolated thing. This has happened a few times. Uh, I've been on flights where I fell asleep and had a dream about being on an airplane that crashed while I was on an airplane sleeping. Have you, have you, have you had that? Uh, no, I, I have not had had Repeated. crash dreams on airplanes. Uh, I think as as we mentioned on one of the Night Attack albums, the worst, most terrifying dream I ever had on a plane was I dreamt that I was going uh, euphemistically number one in my bathroom. Uh, and then I woke up and realized I was on a plane and was for a split second terrified that I was indeed going number one in my seat. <laughs> uh Luckily, I was not, but that was the most terrifying. And that, to me, by the way, is more terrifying than having a dream about crashing in the plane because I can do nothing about crashing in the plane. I have to sit and stew in my shame uh, if I had accidentally peed myself. Dude, I, uh, I watched Flight, and uh, as I was watching the horrific reality of, of the plane going down to all of the fictitious passengers on the plane or whatever, like yeah. I remember thinking, like, oh, yeah, no, I've experienced this like six or seven times, and I experienced it while I was actually on a plane, uh, but sleeping. I'm, I'm not, yeah, in general, I'm not a huge was... nightmares guy. By the way, you know who all of our, a friend to all of ours who is... Like, he will tell me on an almost daily basis the horrifying nightmares that haunt him whenever he closes his eyes. Brett the Amtrek around Seville. I totally believe that. Totally that believe dude, that. That dude is haunted by the most horrifying death, dismemberment, terror nightmares. That's, that's who I need to talk to. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, Justin. I'm not going to call you anymore. I'm going to call Brett and talk about all my nightmares with him. No, yeah. He will, you guys will, will, will be able to exchange because I'll just be driving into work with that guy and he'll just be like, yeah, uh, dreamt last night that I uh, got my head ripped off by an alien. <laughs> Just See, here's, casual. Here's the, here's the it, difference. It is, it is as per usual, man. For for fans of the Night Attack podcast, you would know that my uh, my version of an alien with an ant head uh, would end very differently in a dream than, uh, than indeed. <laughs> uh, but uh, Andrew, to your point with, with the LAX thing, so this, I mean, like you got to figure we would hear about this if it happened more often, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I just sort of thought it was amusing because I was in one of the airplanes that got delayed, but it was just the idea that it 
cold, the, the idea that there was one of those unforeseen things. We didn't, here we have the solid system that's used reliably for millions of flights, and then one spy plane goes overhead, and oh yeah, we didn't think about that. Because it kind of reminds me of like what like like the Y2K fears, like where yeah. it was just like, oh, all the computers are going to completely shut down and go crazy because of this unknown mathematical variable that we're not, you know, wasn't really thought of. And when we were programming all these systems and then nothing happened. And I guess I had always in my mind thought that that the robust elements of modern computation would not be as as susceptible to one random variable as as this. Well, and, and the the Y two K is a good example too because like uh, so much of of that experience is like why did everything turn out to be okay? Was it okay because it was an overhyped nonsense, you know, uh, bogus fear to begin with, or did it turn out okay because you know we all blew a billion uh, dollars on upgrading I, our computers? I have my theory. All right. Most of the critical systems were built by engineers and mechanical engineers to that point, which designed for failure. You get into an elevator and they expect the idea that this will fail at some point or there will be a problem and they built in safeguards for that. And right. so most of the systems we're worried about were engineered. And engineers, unlike software programmers where you know, a lot of, lot of most programs generally started off as sort of low stakes if there's a fault or there's a bug or whatever, things that are engineered, even things that use complicated bits of software mechanically – you sort of have this idea of an expectation of failure. Failure. So. Yeah, multiple multiple levels of failure too, mm -hmm. right? So you have, you have to mechanical to recover from that. So, so. Yeah. So anyhow, uh, I have another topic, but we'll say this for next week on the subject of unforeseen circumstances, things you didn't think would happen, built into the way they're designed. I say it's time for picks. Yeah, yeah, picks. And we went long today. This is a good episode. I feel like I feel like we really got lost in the moment. Plus, yeah. also, that was a hell of a review from Josie. That was. <laughs> um, <laughs> ah! uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go first on picks. First of all, you heard me mention You Are Now Less Dumb, uh, which is the Audible book that I was listening to, and I very rarely do this. I stopped a book midway through and all of a sudden was like, forget it. I'm going to do this other thing instead because I got an email from a friend of ours, friend of the show, friend of all of ours. Who, um, uh, who, who wrote me saying, hey, man, I just read an audiobook and it was a lot of fun, and I think you really like the audiobook. It's about first contact, and it's a different take on first contact. Uh, this was from Jeff Kanata, read an audiobook for audible.com. If you go to audible.com, you type in Jeff Kanata, you'll see it. It's called Traveling in Space, and I'm halfway through it right now, and... It opens with it's it's clear this guy's like an academic. You know, he he lives in the in the bubble of of, uh, you know, I don't know, college space. And but he has a really cool idea. He says that every first contact story basically boils down to one of two elements. Either we are here to destroy you, which is what War of the Worlds is, Independence Day, all of that stuff, or. It's we are here to enlighten you, which is the day the earth stood still, childhood's end, all this, all that stuff. And he said, uh, we, uh, you know, I wanted to try to write a book that had a different angle that, number one, is told from the perspective of the aliens. Number two, the aliens don't really have a dog in the fight either way. They're trying to do their uh, research. You basically have a boat full of scientists or as, as, as he calls it in the book, fact finders. You know, they, they, their job is just to explore for the truth. They're looking for 
another empty planet to seed uh, life into. And instead, they discover humanity. They discover Earth. They discover you know our radio waves and whatnot. And uh, and they're like, yeah, this is a big annoyance. We all just really would love to finish our research, but well, I guess we really should check out and understand what this other society is. Um, it's fascinating. I love it. I'm I'm really enjoying it. I'm only halfway through it. There's uh there's there's some parts that are uh, especially given the topics that we've talked about on uh, the Weird Things podcast, the unlikeliness that alien life would look or feel or be anything remotely close to what we are. Uh, you know, once you swallow those, though, it's like basically the aliens are gorgeous humans. Um, I don't know. Once once I'm in, I'm all the way in. I'm, I'm really, really loving it. It's 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 unique because you have these these hyper serious alien entities that uh, are, 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 are kind of asses. And uh, and, and you see them encounter our ridiculous humanity for all of our flaws and whatever. I I, I don't know. I enjoy it. It's called uh, traveling in space is what you want. I'd like to read that now. uh, Two things. One, and I was just thinking this and this was just pointed out in the chat session, too, is there is a third genre which is becoming more and more popular, and that is the space refugee. Okay. you know, yep. yep, That was alienation. uh, Oh, shoot. Yes. Which I I deeply loved. Alienation. Nine. Just absolutely just nine. That's that's another genre. The idea, like, hey, uh, we just showed up here. What do we do? But the idea of the hey, we're just looking around. Look at that. That was that was the Vulcan contact in Star Trek, and that's the the whole idea of the birth of the Federation was they didn't necessarily come here to enlighten us, but they're like, hey, what are you guys up to? Yeah, oh, you're you're kind of weird. So it's it's a neat. I, I I embrace. I like the idea, and I've had a story I've wanted to do for a long time too. That was the idea of. You know, what happens if some guy came back after being with aliens and the idea of what would I think that they really would want to tell us or say to us? And and one of my problems I always have in all of this stuff is that the aliens tend to judge us as a species or as nations and not as individuals. And, you know, and it's like and, and they have the, they apply the same logic that if we look at Iraq and look at how Saddam Hussein was a real jerk and are like, well, all, these are Iraqis suck. That's yeah. horrible. That's horrible. These people are the victims of the people who came into power. And Day of the Earth Stood Still and all this other stuff that says, oh, you earthlings. It's like, no, no, we're victims of the stronger. We're victims of the guys who came, climbed to the top. You know, the top. You know, are you going to punish a five-year-old kid and kittens because of this? So, so, so one of the things I like, and this is a minor spoiler. Skip this if you are worried about the sanctity of experiencing this book. But, like, for example, uh, one of the things that is foreign – to the aliens is this idea of, of our, our concept of monogamy and of getting married and all of these things. So yeah. they, they, they send scientists. They're like, um, look, here's the thing. The two of you are going to share bed together. I know that's weird. Uh, we'd like you to go to where we understand uh, some people will spend time together. Um, and, and basically it turns out to be a resort created by the host of essentially – I, I, I don't know, some alternate reality version of Fantasy Island where it's like uh, you, you gather listening to this that this, this, what, this guy was an actor who, uh, who was on a very popular show 
that was about, you know, he is called Mr. Honeymoon or whatever. And so he realized he could cash in on his success as being this guy by making an actual resort. So now you have aliens going to a cheesy resort that is based on a popular television show from 15 years ago. And, uh, and you see them, like, very seriously trying to break down, like, why is it that these humans decide to bond together and, and only pair off one-on-one? It's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's adorable, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Not at all resorts one-on-one. <laughs> That's true. Justin? Um, well, here, let me ask, are, are, are you going to go with the, the, the thing we talked about earlier today on the phone? We talked about two things, but I'm not going to go with the movie, if that's what you're asking. You're not going to go with the movie? Okay, then I'll go with the movie. Uh, I, I will say a technical pick. I actually really like these Philips Hue lights. So if you like Wi-Fi-enabled lights, then check them out, because I really like these. Uh, but I'm going to say uh, X-Men, Days of Future Past. Is it um, good? I very much enjoyed it. Uh, it's a movie that I, I certainly have uh, you know, very friendly sort of quibbles with, but... Uh, otherwise, it, it's a super fun movie. It, it is always great to see good characters, great IP kind of done well. And, and I very much enjoyed Brian Singer um, for all of his very large, possibly criminal faults. Uh, he is good at directing X-Men movies. <laughs> I don't think he should be punished for Superman Returns, Justin. It's a good point. It's a good point. Uh which all right, so so a lot has been made about this movie. It's a time travel movie, and the point of the, the conceit of the film is we need to erase the past. And a lot of people had pointed out have pointed out that uh, there are uh, elements to not only uh, the X Men canon, uh, specifically the non singer directed installments of uh, the X Men movies, uh, and uh, I would add on singers career and personal life as well as his directorial decisions when he's not deciding to direct x-men movies that i think uh, would largely benefit from a Uh, complete erasing of the past sure there is only only we only have one canon story now and that's first class it's a good point yeah hold on run run that by me again why is it the only canon story well, I mean, if, and this is spoilers, but okay, let, let's, uh, you know, what? Let, don't, 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 don't. All I'm saying is this: the conceit is we need to change the past. Okay, you can take a wild guess on whether or not they change the past. Okay, uh, uh, tell me this because because here's the thing, and and I'm guessing, um, uh, here's what I think is interesting. And keep in mind, I haven't seen the movie, and blah 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 blah, or whatever. When X Men uh, uh, Days of Future Past was written in the 1980s, it was written yeah. very much as a Terminator style story. The future's terrible. Pre Terminator, though. So, correct, correct. But but the conceit is the same. The, the the future's crappy. Send somebody to fix the current so that the future yeah. won't be so crappy, right? Yeah. Uh, in many ways, what they're doing is uh, I don't know, very different because it starts in the current, and the current is crappy. And let's send somebody into the past to make the current not so crappy. Is 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 that accurate? No, it is. It is the future. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember exactly, but it is the. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it is the future from, 10 years now. from now. Future. Okay. Yeah, I, I hit it now. Okay. Well, in that regard, I'm wrong. Uh, but 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 it sounds like. And, and my my I guess the point I try to make earlier is that. Let's say the only thing that going into this. Am I still there? Yep. Yep. Yeah, you, are, you, you are. Did I go into the past? No. No. You. You just had an so amazing dramatic. We're in now. Now. Like, 
<laughs> what I'm saying is going into this is remember that since first class X-Men first class came out, we essentially had sort of a start over. And then from there going forward is a time travel movie is going to choose whatever elements from the other ones that are going to become part of it. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, well, I will say, uh, I very much enjoyed it. Uh, I thought that the, the performances are great. Uh, I really do hope that, uh, and I do believe, I think this is going to be going forward. The X-Men films, uh, including the, uh, Listen, if you want to understand what happens after the credits, then look at the name of the already announced sequel to this film. Um, Stay and if you don't understand it from there, then look it up on Wikipedia. Uh, but I hope that By the in way, that spoiler film, alert, that title is called All the X-Men Die, the movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I, I hope and I, I do believe this is the plan to go forward with uh, the first class cast as your main principal cast uh, with probably Wolverine in tow because Wolverine doesn't age. Uh, it is super fun. I look forward to the future of it. I look forward to uh, to to future uh, versions of this uh, of this property. And really, in this world of a non Marvel produced, you know, non Marvel uh, cinematic universe produced uh, Marvel IP that everybody is pretty happy with. So yeah. I'm excited about that, and I'm excited about Sony's or sorry, this is Fox, uh, 20th Century Fox's tenure of Marvel films uh, with Fantastic Four. Going forward, that if, if, if this is what we got out of this X-Men, then I'm excited to see their Fantastic Four. Really? Yeah, I think, I think Fox is in a great position to create their own cinematic universe between where they've done with these characters, the other people they've introduced, and then what they could do with Fantastic Four. All right, my pick. Go. I'm clutching it in my arms right now. What? I did a, I've mentioned this on Twitter. I called up Brian and Justin individually to geek out about this. I actually did an entire YouTube video about it. I love pop-up books. It's yeah, the only do. thing I actually collect. I have some magic books, things like that, but I'm not really into having a bunch of magic crap around my place. I love pop-up books because they're kind of magical to me. And I've actually got sitting over on my coffee table a few of them uh, that I have. You can see there, there's some awesome Star Wars ones. There's a guy named Matthew Reinhardt who's done these amazing Star Wars pop-up books. And for our audio listeners, uh, this will mean nothing to you. But he's got this fantastic – I'm going to open this up. Brian and Justin will describe what happens as I slip open the page. Oh, my Boom. God. A freaking spaceship just exploded. Well, that would be a pod book. racer, uh, Brian. That would be uh, streaking through the sands of Tatooine. That would be a pod racer. Dude, that was amazing. This looks great. Uh, and, and did I hear you right? And, and I apologize. I know you very exp- – oh, my God. It's like a crate dragon. Is that what I'm looking at? Uh, that's the uh... – the the battle beast in the gladiatorial combat and it's the, the acclay got it uh did you say this is the same guy that did one of my favorite books yeah the, he did uh, the book of phobias yeah the pop-up okay. book of phobias i absolutely so, adored he's done done amazing pop-up books and then i found out he was doing a game now those the star wars galaxy uh pop-up adventure whatever 
Um, oh, cool. We got the we're just opening up the pop up book of phobias, and you pop open the first page, and you know the surgeons pointing at you, and I mean, there's just just an amazing, amazing book. Yeah, I, I, I want to point out, like, like on that dentist phobia, like as you open the page, there's a there's a string in there that causes the drill bit to actually spin as it comes towards you, and then as you open the pages for the uh, you know I don't know for for uh, agoraphobia, yeah. uh, acrophobia, where like awesome. as you open open it you can see the landscape spinning out of control in the window of, of he this. does these amazing if you cut back oh yeah the snakes let me show you this i'm going to show you two here that he sure, does sure, sure. He doesn't just have things pop out at you he they're animated it's like if you pop open this oh my god that's dude anim- there's a freaking there's a freaking jedi jumps up and the freaking uh, lightsaber turns well, from no, blue no. to 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 uh, to, to so, red so it is it is initially anakin so anakin is popping up uh, with a blue lightsaber, and oh then as God. it fully folds out, it turns into Darth Vader with a red lightsaber. Okay, he's done. He's done. I'll show you one of my favorite little ones. Is uh, uh, he did again? I'm going to get to to my pick, but I want to give you some background on it. Is uh, um, let me find it here. Yeah, because right. like you have their pages within pages, right? Right. And then uh, if you can cut back here. Uh, they're pages within pages, and so like here's the cantina. All right, holy cow, man! You okay. open this thing, and there's a whole three dimensional, like complete, um, like an architectural. Uh, I, I I don't even know how to describe it. Like an architectural mock up. So I'm gonna of, get into. I'm to show you something. And audio listeners, you're screwed. So you pop open a section here, and you see. Look, it's Han Solo, right? Oh my God! There's a book within the book because there's this little thing right. you open then, on the side. Then, now I'm gonna. Open, there's a book within the book section. within the book. Are you kidding me? <laughs> now look, look. Oh, who's who's peeking through here? Boba <gasps> Fett. But watch what happens is I reveal Boba Fett is Han Solo. Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> oh my God, that's, that's a work insane. of art. That is beautiful. So this guy, Matthew Reinhardt, he's the one who did these. You'll, you'll see on Amazon, it'll say the pop-up book is like five pages. But within, let's say this page right here where I have a... Yeah, uh, each page has Rancor like beast. 12 pages within yeah, it. Yeah, the Rancor Beast page is awesome. There's probably two or three pocket pockets and pages in there. There's one here. There's one here. It's actually like six pages or something. So there's, there's like 30 pop-outs in there. So he it was, he was going to do a Game of Thrones pop-up book. Wait, was going to do that? That doesn't well, sound no, like I it's going to end Thrones well. I heard a pop-up book by Matthew Reinhardt. Now you can get the Star Wars one, Pop-Up Guide to the Galaxy, for like twenty bucks on Amazon. Yeah, well worth it. I bought a bunch of his others. Game of Thrones was forty bucks. I'm like, I don't know, forty bucks in a pop-up, yeah, dude. I believe it, I mean, dude. You know you're going to open it, and there's going to be like the moon door from the Airy in there. There's going to be like you're going to open it, and there's going to be actual combat between like. But the also, hound. I mean, come on, Brian. I mean, like twenty bucks, you get that with Star Wars. Why are we getting the old forty dollars square <laughs> screw job? For Game of Thrones, just because the show's hot, boo to so, that. I'm not going to be extorted. So you open it up and you've got awesome pop up. Like all of a sudden, boom, oh my god, you have it! You have it, dude. This is amazing. You just yes. opened a book and King's Landing appeared. This is amazing. Now, and now this is you, just okay. just to give you a sense. Everything else that Andrew has shown uh, has been 
of a certain size. This is probably, I would say, three times larger. It pops than- like, like, like it's, it's, it's physically bigger than the book. It is magic. You open the goddamn book, and then something bigger than the book pops out of the book. And there's the airy. Yes. <laughs> what happens if we open up the airy? No way. The moon door. Moon door. Oh! Moon door. Yeah! <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. Are you kidding me? Uh, well, but I mean, again, listen, is it nice? Sure. But I really want something that would be amazing and eye popping that would really set this apart from any other pop up book ever. Holy crap. Look at the wall. You've got you've got the entirety of of you've got Westeros and then Esteros here. And it's amazing, right? I mean, this this already I got my 40 bucks worth, right? But if you flip it around on the back, there's this funky thing on the spine that opens up, right? Now, for our audio listeners, uh, I'm gonna describe what happens. And then for people watching, Brian, if you go to my YouTube, if you go to uh, my YouTube.com, I think uh, go to YouTube, go to my Tumblr, and you'll see the video there, AndrewMain.tumblr.com. You up, open up the spine of it, and all the sections that I just showed, where you saw. You saw Winterfell, you saw King's Landing, you saw the air, you saw these things. You then open up the spine, and they all fold out into a massive map that covers your entire coffee table where everything shuts up. up. Okay. Literally, I started unfolding this, and I had to move a book off my coffee table. Then I had to move another book. Then I had another book, and then I unfolded it. And so you end up with, remember the opening of Game of Thrones where it's, the, it's like the pop-up thing happening? It's that on your table. That's amazing, dude. And, 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 and keep in mind when I assume, and I'm, I'm just making this up, but I assume that when you say it's like that on your table, like you're talking all the way down to like, like moving uh, gears and wheels and bits and stuff moving all well, around, like, I mean, right? It's as it's, it's close as you can do with a papercraft pop-up. Have you found the video yet? Right. Uh, no, no, no. I, I, I haven't. What, what, what video okay. am I looking yeah, if for? If you want to show, just for the people watching, uh, we can describe to our audio listeners, basically... Um, I actually, if you go to andrewmain.tumblr.com, I made an animated GIF showing the thing unfolding. And then on the video, I go through there and actually show the thing, what it looks like, and do a little camera pass through there. It's insane. It is absolutely insane. Matthew right, I'm, Reinhardt, looking, I'm looking at it right now uh, at the, uh, the clip that you put on um, YouTube. By the way, I apologize. Bonnie got home with Penny straight, uh, straight out of freaking uh, – uh, straight out of NASA, a crazy oh little 10-year-old named Penny. I um, want to report next week about NASA. I am excited to hear about that. Oh, okay. she probably you wrapped can... this up, though, because I don't know how bo- thrilled Bonnie is. That, <laughs> that no, she... Bonnie definitely, definitely just busted me hosting a show when I was supposed to be looking after the kids. So you see the unfolding of it, and so basically the whole thing is just it's insane how big the thing is, how massive it is. And it's a a he's pushed the art of God, the pop up book into an incredible place that it's just it's just sick when you see how big this is a massive massive map of Westeros and Esteros. Yeah, with, for those uh, Essos, not to be a nerd, uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Esteros. They, no, no, that's that's book seven, Justin. You don't know yet. They actually never say it in the books. Funny fun fact. Uh, Wait, what what do you mean? Say it again. Uh, Essos. Essos is never mentioned in the books. What is Essos? Essos the other, is the, the uh, continent the, that the Daenerys sea, is. Uh, oh, is so there's Westeros and Essos. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Essos, but, I like to call it. Uh, for those of you who are listening, 
this is uh, effectively a pop-up book version of the the HBO introduction. I mean, like that—that's what we are. That's what we are looking at right now. It is remarkable and amazing. Uh, hey, man, I just got some texts in the middle of this stuff saying that uh, that I need to drop everything and get ready to appear on uh, this week in tech. So I guess we should wrap everything up just now, so I can maybe look at the stories before I go pretend to know what I'm talking about. Fair enough. I think uh, I will keep it short. It's been weird. 